Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Setting up is suddenly, so part two, and uh, one of the things that I think is a big deal is that we, we have got to become a people who learn to expect from God in the attitude of what expectation actually is. It means that we're not wishing, we're not kind of, maybe wouldn't it be nice if, but we expect a move of God. We expect a suddenly from heaven that's going to alter our lives, that's going to alter our marriages, alter our families, alter our cities, alter our nation. And I personally, you know, I, I have a big, um, a big burden, as, as I know many of you do, for the nation in this hour. And it is so easy to get caught up in the negativity, to get caught up in the, the weirdness and the upset, but we really, really, really need to know that our expectation has to be on God. It's not on any man, it's not on any woman, it's not on any party. It is on the Lord. If we're gonna see righteousness restored, it, our hope is in Him, and we have to do things His way. And so this morning, as we get into this, I want you to hear this word uh, at whatever level you're at. I understand that not everybody is in a place where you're expecting big things for the nation. You would just really like to have a breakthrough so that you can pay the rent this week. You know, that if that's where you're at, that is, God is the God of the breakthrough no matter what. So whatever that level is, you're, you're needing the breakthrough in your marriage. You're needing the breakthrough for your kids. I, I love this morning the testimonies that we heard here um, in the baptism. You know, David, I remember the day you got saved because I could see you in the balcony vaguely and God was moving on you from the second you got in the building, right? And, and huge thing, Franklin, I remember, it might be the balcony. All you up in the balcony, you better expect a move of God up there. I believe Franklin was up in the balcony. Where is Franklin today? Up, you were up in the balcony the day you came to Christ, right? The day you made that commitment. I remember seeing like people are running down the stairs to come and meet with God. And it's a suddenly, it, it seems suddenly in the moment, but like Franklin said, his mom had been praying for a long time. So the, the suddenlies are the result of a setup that happens ahead of time. It's, it's how we prepare ourselves to experience God, how we prepare ourselves to receive from him. So when we talk about a suddenly of God, we're just talking about it suddenly to us. It's not suddenly to him. He's got plans. He's got times and purposes. He's got ways of lining stuff up. And God is just so good at matching us up with the right places at the right time. Acts tells us that he has designed and determined the exact places, the boundaries of our dwelling, and the exact times when we should live so that we would reach for him. So that we would be expectant, so that we would hunt for him. And so whatever time we're in is the moment when the setup is there for us to experience him. Meaning if you are on the earth now, which you are, um, clearly, uh, if you're on the earth now, this is the time when you can best receive him. It's the time when you can best see him. So for those of us who are like, dear God, get me out of here. The world has gone to bits. I just, I, God's like, no, this is exactly the time I planned for you to be here so that you'll put a draw on me so that your expectation is from me so that you will grope from me so that I can move on the earth as I desire. You're the kind of people he needs here right now for his purposes. You're exactly what was intended for this moment in history. And if you feel like you can't go anymore, 
you're tougher than you think. There is more in you. There is more room for God to move on the inside of you than you think there is. And so we're going to stir up that expectation this morning. And we're going to talk about what a move of God looks like. I love when God gives us an example in his word of, of what he's like. Because his character informs our expectation. His character informs our expectation. Our expectation of God is not based on what I think he's capable of. It has to be based on what he has proven he is, who he is, what he does, what he's like. If he's done it before, he can do it again. So my expectation has to come into alignment with what I can find in the word, what I know to be true. And so we know that even in, in our national situation right now, I mean, for all of us, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at what is being presented politically and know that it's just a junk pile. It, the, the, the choices are not great in the moment and the people are upset about all the stuff. And yet I have, and I know many of you have this burning on the inside that says this nation has a prophetic destiny that has been declared and declared and declared and declared. So no matter what we see on the outside, the word of the Lord stands sure. And so we're never past the point of return. We're never past the point of salvation. We're never past the point of a revival across this land. And I am determined to see one. And, and how do I know that that's how do I know that that's not wishful thinking? Well, we know that in Isaiah 66, there's the prophetic word of the Lord, where basically the question is posed: Can a nation be changed in a day? Can it be changed? What a good question! We're like, can the nation be changed in you know 23 days? God help us. We hope so. You know, can it be changed? I, it's not. It's not hinged on the election, though. And when we put our expectation in who wins or who doesn't win or, or who's ahead in the polls, our expectation is wrong. Our expectation is of the Lord and of him only. And when we lean into him, we find his answers. We find when, when, when the question is posed, can a nation be born in a day? And God's answer says, shall I bring it to the time of birth and not bring the delivery? In other words, it suddenly is going to look like it happens, but there was a pregnancy preparing. There was a time of expectation and development and growth and turning. There was something that was happening for nine months before the day of birth. So you might say, suddenly I have a baby. I didn't have one yesterday. I had one today, but it took nine months to get there. God's saying as a nation, can a nation be born in a day? Yes, but it takes a long time of delivery and I will bring Bring it to the point. I will bring a nation to the point where it's ready to give birth to something it can sustain. This nation has to be turned and it has to be, it has to be changed in a way that can only be done by God. But it will be sustained by a church who is hot and on fire for the Lord. It, it, what good would it be to bring forth, to birth a move of God that cannot be sustained by God's kids? If we're not ready, if we're not prepared, if we're not expecting, there is a turning point that could come and it leaves, it leaves the spiritual baby on the ditch to die. It's this thing where God could, could, could release a move of his spirit that is just aborted. But he won't. Because he will bring something to the point of delivery. And in a day, he will cause it to give birth because there is preparation for that suddenly. 
I'm telling you, God is preparing us for suddenly. I know that our messages around here get a little bit more aggressive every week. I can't even help myself. I believe God is calling a Canadian church to rise up, to get aggressive, to get hungry, to get desperate for him, to get sick of the mundane and the usual and, and sick of waiting for something to happen from somebody else's hand. A church who will get on her face before God and say, we need you and you alone. Our hope is in you. Our expectation is in you. I am looking for you. God, what are you doing in this hour? Because he's always working. He's preparing. He's building. I believe we've come into this place right now. Last week, we talked about the expectation and the preparation. Our expectation has to be that God can do something. Now again, maybe you can't, you can't think nation right now. Can he do something in your marriage? Can he do something in your home? Can he do something with your prodigal children? Can he do something in your life, in your health? Yes, he can. But my expectation must be of him. And then I prepare myself to walk in that when it happens. I prepare myself to be ready to carry that kind of breakthrough. I prepare myself to be ready to move. What I'm preparing myself for as a pastor in this house right now is when we're looking at 700 people, 800 people, 900 people. I have to prepare myself. We have to prepare as a ministry team. How do we disciple when we're not baptizing seven people, but 70 on a Sunday? How are we prepared for that? What are we prepared to do? Have we expected from God accurately to his nature, to his track record? We know in the book of Acts, when the spirit of God fell, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, thousands were added daily. Why would that change? Why would that change? That is the nature of God. And we can say, well, it's because it was, it was such a corrupt time. It was their first experience with Christianity. It was their first experience with Jesus. We are considered a post-Christian nation. We're in about the same boat. It is opportune time for God to do something mighty and wonderful. I want to just warn you today of the bait that is out there. And you all know it. Let me tell you, we have to have laser focus as we, as we consider what to talk about, what to think about, what to invest our time in, what to invest our resources in, what to get worked up about, what's worth fighting. I believe that there are things that want our attention right now, and we all feel very strongly about a lot of issues. You know, the, the internet is raging. Your phone, if you got Apple uh, iPhone, you know, you get the news thing that pops up, every headline is polarizing people, and it's trying to separate that these guys are mad at these guys, and these people are, the cause of this and this is the problem it is a distraction i am telling you church we have got to put the blinders on on the side and we have to look at what is god interested in in this hour what's on his heart what does he care about what is he doing because honestly i will not and i'm just it is not about what the news wants you to think it's about right now we can get so bent and so polarized because of the issues that are, that, are, that are natural issues, but kingdom issues are moving underneath the surface, and there's far bigger things at play than what the news is presenting right now. So we have to care about what is on God's heart. We have to decide to do what is right. We know that James uh, 4.7 tells us straight up to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The order of that is important. Submit to God, 
resist the devil and he will flee. So, I, you know, I'm hearing a lot of believers right now going, oh, that's so demonic, that's so evil, that's so this, that's so that. Yep. But if I focus on that and I miss the part where I'm supposed to submit to God, all I do is upset myself and open gateways for the enemy to run me ragged. I, I'm suddenly in fights and battles and conversations with people that have no good outcome at all. But if I submit to God, if I make that my first priority, then the, the, the resist the devil is a tag on on the other side. I submit to God. He's got my focus. He's got my attention. He's got my desire. He's got my obedience. Devil, push off. I don't, I'm not giving you my attention today. You, you, you know, we don't have to sit there and battle out these heavy demonic things. We need to submit to God. And the reality is the body of Christ in Canada has been weak in that arena for a very long time. And God is calling us to account. And so today we're going to pick up um, a story that I started last week uh, about uh, King Hezekiah. One of the kings, in fact, the, the history shows us outside of David, you know, he was considered the most righteous king. He did what was right in the eyes of God. He experienced the fullness of God. He experienced signs, wonders, and miracles. He experienced things like the, the, the clock shifting. He experienced things like an extending of his life by 15 years. He experienced things like when he called out to God because the enemy was coming against him, God sent an angel one angel and 185,000 of the enemy were killed in their beds. He, he experienced the miraculous. But most important, I think, is he experienced national transformation. He experienced a nation that was born in a day. He experienced a turnaround. And so why this matters is because King Hezekiah's dad is King Ahaz, who was listed as one of the most wicked kings that ever ruled. He was profoundly evil. If you want to study it at all, 2 Chronicles kind of 27, 28, it describes him. And he's, he's this guy that like anything you can think of that could go wrong, he did wrong. He, he was so perverse in his thinking that specifically it says that he actually even sacrificed his own children. He, he, he says he, he brought his own children into the fires. So he was this king who turned away from God and who decided that, that he would serve any other God. He, this, this, uh, this group of people serves this God and he seems to be working for them. So we'll add a shrine to that guy. Oh, these guys are serving this God. Well, he's working for them. So we'll add a shrine to that guy. And he was inclusive in his religious understanding to the point where he excluded the living God and there was nothing but shrines and altars and, and sacrificial tables around the nation. It, it literally says every single place. If we look at uh, 2 Chronicles 28, 19 and 22, it says, for the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Verse 22, now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. So the worse things got, the worse he got. The worse things got, the more he tried to do more evil things, the more he sacrificed the, the morality of the nation. He literally, it says that he literally set up high places and altars it in every single city. So he went around and he determined we're all going to be alike in our depravity. 
We're all going to be alike in how we misserve God. We're all going to be alike in how we will look to anybody and anywhere for some help. And he saw, you know, the, 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 the marauding different tribes that would come in and he would see them conquer. And so instead of defending the nation against them, he would try and partner with them. He'd try and barter with them. He'd try and come into agreement with them. And we, I believe, are in a nation that has come through a season that looks very similar. And you say, well, maybe we don't have high places on every corner. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And we have welcomed the false gods of the world into this land. And we, we have said that there has to be a place for them in every city. There has to be a place for it on every corner. Well, we don't sacrifice children. Yes, we do. Check the abortion rate of this nation. Yes, we do. We, we could say, well, we haven't turned away from God. Yes, we have. Check our schools. Check our hospitals. Check our public gatherings where we do no longer pray. We no longer ask for God's blessing. We no longer recognize the rule of Jesus Christ in this nation. We have come to a place where we increasingly, the worse it gets, the worse we behave as a nation. So this is the bad part, right? But here comes the good part. And we started with it last week because we know Proverbs 14, 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. Ideally, you want an entire nation to behave righteously. But simplistically, anyone walking in righteousness is exalting the nation in some level. By you walking in righteousness, by you choosing to do what is right, by a church group, by a family, by a city walking in righteousness, there is a levity to the nation that begins to come because we step out of the, the uh, judgment of God and we step into his blessing. What I'm saying is we don't have to wait until September 20th to see what happens and whether righteousness can be restored. It happens in my household. It happens in your household. It happens street by street, house by house, family by family. Righteousness can be restored. And so we see one king come to place, one king come to power, King Hezekiah, and guess, granted, he is the king. So this is where we would love it if people in leadership and power get to, to be in a place to establish righteousness. But ultimately, it can happen right here. We are the ecclesia. We get to declare things. We get to, to, to operate in the rulership of God. But it says in 2 Chronicles 29, the rise of King Hezekiah. And you see something radical happen. I, I can't even find any understanding. I can't find any track record. Maybe my studying's not super sharp right now. I have no idea how this guy was the son of the other guy. How, how are you raised by a completely perverse, twisted, broken father in a kingdom where if every single city has high places and platforms, how are you raised in that environment and you desire God? Because, because it literally says, if we look at the beginning here, we look at verse 1 of Second uh, Chronicles 29. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. I'm giving credit to her on some of this, I'm thinking. But verse uh, 2, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. 
Now, one of the things that I want us to understand is there's two words that get tossed around in our church culture a lot, revival and awakening. And we, we bounce them back and forth, but they're actually two different things, and they're two sides of the same coin. And so uh, one of the quotes that I found that I think is really good is from Brian Taylor, and it says, an awakening takes place when God sovereignly pours out his spirit, and it impacts a region and changes a culture. A revival, on the other hand, is when the church comes back to life, when the church becomes what it was always meant to be. In other words, it's cause and effect. God puts out the bait and we decide to respond. God says, I'm here, I'm issuing the wake up call. I'm telling you it's time. I'm telling you there's a better way. I'm drawing by my spirit. Can you hear the call? Can you hear the call? Many are called, few are chosen. The chosen ones, the ones who say yes, this is where revival comes from. The awakening, the sound of awakening has been released, but are we willing to respond? Are we ready to be the church that comes up and becomes who she was always meant to be. The, the awakening sound has been spoken over this nation for at least 10 full years where it's been declared and declared and declared. And I would say once again, make sure you separate yourself from what's going on in the U.S. Canada has a distinct prophetic calling. And so what is God saying over Canada may not be the same thing as what he's saying over the U.S. We are not the U.S.'s little brother. We have a distinct purpose. And our purpose in this hour is to rise up and to take our place. And so the awakening call has gone out what are we doing with it are we ready to respond so I believe that God put it on Hezekiah's heart I believe that God because he's faithful put it on every king's heart but Hezekiah responded to it Hezekiah decided not to hit the snooze button here's the awakening I'm going to do something about it. And so he begins to move and it's, it's radical and it's quick. There's this shift that happens super quickly. Verse one, he becomes king. Verse two, he does what is right in the sight of the Lord. Verse three, in the first year of his reign, in the first month. Wow. Last month, the, the nation was serving idols. Last month, the nation was sacrificing children. Last month, the, the nation was completely perverse and broken and damaged. And this month, this day, suddenly. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. Woo! Verse four, he brought in the priests and the Levites and he gathered them in the east square and he said to them, hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord, God of your fathers, carry out the rubbish from the holy place for our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God. They have forsaken him and they have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and have turned their backs on him. They have shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you will see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. This sounds like our nation. Verse 10, now it is my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense 
wow. In a day, something begins to twist. Something begins to turn. And I believe it's really significant that we see the pattern here. We see that the first thing that Hezekiah does in the, the transformation of a nation is not to tear down the high places. He doesn't go after what is wrong. He repairs what is right. He goes after what is right. That, that is an indicator to us that he is following the instructions of the Lord. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. He, he is very aware that there's been a whole lot of garbage going on. He is very aware that there are demons that have been sacrificed to and worshipped all across the nation. But his bigger focus is we have abandoned the worship of our God. We have abandoned the house, the courts of our God. We have abandoned the pursuit of our hearts before God. And so that's what we do first. We open up. Now, Old Testament, we know we're dealing with a physical temple, like an actual building. New Testament, that is us. Do you not know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So like Pastor Brad said this morning with the baptism, it's not so much about let's get it all cleaned up so that we can come to God. Come to God so we can get it cleaned up. That's, that's how he works. And so King Hezekiah says, man, the first thing we're going to do is, is open the doors. We're going to prepare ourselves to do this. There's a lot contained in this. So we're going to walk through three quick things that, that we see in the transformation of a nation. I'm hanging on to this for dear life, you guys. I believe, I believe that our children and our grandchildren can come up in a nation that honors the Lord. And I know that there's all kinds of, of things in, in uh, you know, prophetic word in scripture about the return of Christ and, and, and how dark things will be. But we also don't know exactly when that will be. And we are to occupy until he comes. So I am not going to sit in my corner sucking my thumb and waiting for Jesus to rescue me. I will be on the street corners doing what is right. We cannot sit there hoping for a rescue mission. We know that when Jesus comes, we want to be found faithful. And so this is the key. We step into this thing like Hezekiah did where we personally get it right with God. And we begin to build a community that gets it right with God. So verse 10, we see this crossover, this thing that's happening. We see Hezekiah has it in his heart to do what is right. We, we, we know that King Hezekiah says in verse 11, he says, okay, brethren, like basically do not be negligent for now is the time. In other words, there's going to be an opportunity for me to say this and you to go, kings don't last that long these days around here, so we'll wait till he's done. I mean, realistically, every king had a 20, 25, 30-year rule. It was like everybody comes in with a new agenda. He's saying, do not be negligent. This is a God-ordained moment in time. It's interesting because as they begin to, to uh, decree and declare the, the, the pursuit of God, they begin to change things. They begin to do what is right. You start to see people come awake. You start to, be, to, to see this change that's beginning to happen. And verse 27 to 31, we see how uh, basically, the, I don't have time to go into the whole thing. I really encourage you to read these whole passages. Uh, chapter 29 to 31. But it says that basically they clean out all the debris from the house. They begin to reinstitute stuff. They open up to the people and they begin to say, you know, it's possible now for you to come and to worship the real God. 
It's possible. We're making a way for you. We're creating a space where you can come and worship God. And, and it says specifically um, in verse 27, going down, then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. So all the assembly worshiped and the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. And this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Man, worship was restored. There was a sound. There was a song that came forth that had to do. It was the soundtrack of a revival beginning to happen within the nation. And verse 29, and when they had finished the offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshiped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Then Hezekiah answered and said, now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings and as many as were willing of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. It starts off with King Hezekiah says, it's in my heart to do this thing. One man. And then he begins to, operate in that and he uses his influence to change what needs to be changed and then it says that the levites and the singers began to sing and they sang with grateful hearts they were willing participants in this and then he says anybody who wants to bring sacrifices can and they began to respond with a willing heart what this is telling us is that there's this moment when somebody some, some person, some couple, some family, some group of people, some nation decides to set themselves apart and they begin to do what is right. It begins to spread. We can look for the big picture to change, but it will start with me. And so the first thing that's happening is straight up consecration. Consecration is the thing that we're aiming for right off the get-go. Consecration literally means to be set apart. It's, it's in the same family as the word holy, where we know that God is holy, and we are to be holy as he is holy, which sounds terrifying because that sounds to us like perfect. What it literally means is he's set apart. He's other than. He's different. He is above. He is, he is, he is set apart from what, what we see around us. When we are consecrated, Hezekiah was saying, we are going to consecrate the temple. We are gonna purify the temple. We are gonna do what is necessary to be like he is. We are going to be set apart. We are deciding to be different. We are deciding. So some today, maybe this is, this is the day where straight up, you just need to make that decision that I am set apart for God. I am consecrated to him. My life is not my own. I don't belong to me. I don't, I don't make all my own choices. He gives me free will, but my, my free will chooses to do what he wants. I am choosing to be set apart for him. I am choosing to be consecrated for his purposes. And so we see this when someone somewhere is willing to do something right, it begins to spread. It begins to move. If, if there is a people that is on fire and passionately serving God, it will spread. 
It will spread. We've seen it in the, in the natural. We've seen these forest fires, you know, the sad thing of, of so much uh, land being eaten up. But it starts with this small fire. And when the wind blows on it, it carries it and it spreads. In the same way, when we have what is a small fire to us, the wind of the spirit blows and it will spread. But we have to decide to be on fire in the first place. We have to decide to be consecrated. You might be the first person in your home. You might be the first person in your family. You might be the first person in your workplace, but you will not be the last. This is what God's calling us to. After the consecration comes the sanctification. And sanctification is this word that we use, and it sounds, you know, essentially it means that we become more like what God uh, has intended for us to be. We look at it as in, in, you know, when we're explaining it in church, it's, it's the stuff that begins to drop off our lives, the stuff that shouldn't be there, the things that need to be reformed. It's, it's the stuff that happens when Christ is in us. He begins to transform those things. We don't make it happen. We partner with him, and he causes it to happen. But one of those things is... is um, the problem with that is that so often we can get caught up in, I'm struggling in a certain area, so I don't feel worthy to be with God. I don't feel worthy to be, I don't, I don't feel worthy to come close to him. And until I get this under control, I don't know if I can come near and whatever. But we need to understand if we've been set apart, then sanctification is built into the process. God knows we're messy. God knows we don't get it right all the time. But out of the relationship comes this change. And so when we see... Uh, verse 32, we're going to pick it up there, of 29. And it says, And the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs, and these were for burnt offerings to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, the brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended, until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. This particular passage is terrifying. Also, the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat offerings, the peace offerings, and with the drink offerings for every burnt offering so that the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. God was after a setting in order or putting things right, putting things into place. The literal definition of of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. That's what it means. The state of proper functioning. So I can get so bogged down in feeling convicted, which if I hang on to it will just lead to condemnation, and I just feel so bad about myself that I feel like I can't come before the Lord because he'll, you know, what's he going to think about me? I'm just, whatever. No, God's saying, I want you to come in and let's, you are set apart for me. Let me help you get into the place of proper functioning. It's not that God's saying, I need you to live perfect. It's not that there's this list of do's and don'ts. It's that when we do things his way, we function the way we're designed to function. We live in our optimal way of, of being. We, everything makes sense about life. There's joy there. There's peace there. There's delight there. There's purpose there. So God calls us into this place of proper functioning. But what we see in the sanctification process here is that there's this group of people who were not ready to do this. And they weren't the people that you would have thought. 
the Levites had to get an impromptu promotion to serve in the house of God because the priests, who that was their job, weren't ready. Some of us in this hour go, well, what, what do I have to do with anything? I don't have a position. I don't have a title. I'm not important. Well, you know what? It's not about position. It's not about title. It's about being ready to be used in the state of proper functioning. And so here was this group of Levites. The, the way it goes is that Levites uh, were the, the foundation. So every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. So the, the, they were a tribe of people that was there to serve in the house of God. And from that group, there would be people that were set apart to serve. It is possible, scarily so, it is possible for people in positions, people with titles, people with followings to actually miss the opportunity to serve in a move of God if the sanctification process is not in action. If we get lazy, sloppy, God will bypass us, but he will set things right. He will, in this word, it was things were set right in the house of God. When God says now, and he's moving upon a people, he will do what it takes to set things right, and he will use those that are available. There's a shift there. The priests had gotten lazy. It had been a long time since they had seen anything happen. Can you imagine? I'm a priest in the house of God who our king doesn't serve. He actually locked the doors of the temple. He's built high places to everything else. Really, our nation has just fallen apart. They're sacrificing babies over there, but I'm a priest to Jehovah. They got sloppy. This is why the awakening comes out. The call of God comes out and the response is the revival. The priests had to catch up to what it was that God was doing. Whew. After the sanctification. So we see that there's this set apart. Am I willing to be set apart? Am I willing to be in this place where God can use me? Am I willing to be consecrated to him? Am I willing to walk out the sanctification process? Means I, I don't wanna be one of those people who gets bypassed in the call of God. I wanna be a frontliner. Do you wanna be a frontliner? Do you wanna experience a move of God in your life? You can't bypass the sanctification part. This is not about what, what I can do, what I can't do. It is about I want to be set apart to function according to the design, the state of proper functioning. And from there comes the activation. And the activation is what we would term as revival. It's the part of what we would say there was suddenly a move of God. Research past revivals. There are always these first two parts. What we see, what we record in history is the, it's the, the move, it's that thing, that activation. Oh my goodness, look, God is moving. Always because there was a person or a group of people who decided to be set apart as holy, who decided to allow God, the, the, the use of their life to sanctify them, to put them in proper order, and then there was an activation of a move of God in that place. I believe God is calling us in this hour to this. So activation is where revival starts happening, and what we see, there's this, this walkthrough, and you'll see it as you read through, and please take the time to read the next couple chapters, but you'll see a move of God shift a nation. One of the first things that you see in this activation is a spirit of unity. Yeah. Couldn't we use that right now? So 2 Chronicles 30, starting at verse 8, this is when they've, they've set themselves right and they begin to open the net and say, you're welcome to join us. 
And he says, now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sacrificed, uh, sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who led them captive, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and he will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. Not everybody's going to think that a move of God is a good idea. Nevertheless, verse 11, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also the hand of God was on Judah. So this is Hezekiah's kingdom. The hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and their leaders at the word of the Lord. So as they, the men, they began to do the right thing. They put the net out there. Not everybody liked it. They got mocked, but God goes, wow, this is a people I can use. And he began to pull them together and they began to operate as one. They began to have like mind and like heart to do what was right in the eyes of God. We can sit there on Facebook and we can blast people until our fingers fall off and never convince anybody of anything. But really, if we will get before God and we will do what is right in his eyes and we serve under the purpose and function that he has put on our lives, he will do the other part. God brought about spiritual unity to the nation. That's a huge thing. That is what we need in this nation. Everybody is saying, even with this election, that, man, it's so divisive. There's so much separation. There's so much, there's so much brokenness. We need a move of God. What the track record shows us, when God is given preeminence, unity is the result. That's, that's the answer. God is the answer. The second thing, that we see is actually salvation. And this is really cool. And so starting at verse 18 of chapter 30, it says, but the multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. In other words, they came, they were, men. they were cold turkey heathens. They, you know, they were God's, um, people, but they did not know him. They came in and they were just excited to be in the house of God. But Hezekiah prayed for them saying, may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. What obviously we're doing like Old Testament, there's some practical stuff that they were doing that we do, spiritually speaking. What it's saying is, man, they came in broken, heathen, messed up, dirty, and, and Hezekiah goes, Lord, will you touch them all? And God goes, yeah. Yeah, I will. So it, it starts in the house of God. It starts with, man, the priests and Levites. I'm telling you, you need to get in there and clean out. You bring the rubbish out of the house of God. He says, I want you to come in and, and begin to offer sacrifices. And you see the singers begin to move in it. And you see the people begin to respond. The suddenly that we talked about last week is when the offerings were so plentiful that, that they, they literally, the, King Hezekiah was like, God has done this suddenly. He has moved. And so there's, there's this move that happens within their tribe we see unity happen and then we start to see the lost just get saved just be impacted by the presence of God just be desperate they, their hearts were after him and so this is not about you know pursuing people it's about pursuing God and God pursues the people 
This, this is what we see. This is what we see in action here. And so we see that they come. They're messy. They're unprepared. They're uncleansed. But God meets them there. Thirdly, what we see is passionate, willing worship. And so in 2 Chronicles 31.1, Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out into the cities of Judah, and they broke down the sacred pillars in pieces. And they cut down... Um, am I in the wrong spot here? No. Yes, I'm ahead of myself. Let me just pause. That's the good stuff that's coming. <laughs> 21. Go back to 21 of chapter 30. So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by, here we go, loud instruments. Just a freebie for somebody. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making their confession to the Lord God of their fathers. There was this willingness, this hunger, this pursuit that was happening. In fact, it goes on and it says, the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days. And they kept it another seven days with gladness. In other words, the revival changed the timetable. They, they, well, we don't even care when church is over, we're staying. We're going on for another week. Well, let's do it for another week. Let's just keep worshiping. So there was passionate, willing worship that began to go. It wasn't mandated. It wasn't a have to. It became a want to. And then there was cultural change. And so we see there, uh, again, Second Chronicles 31.1. Now, when this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke down the sacred pillars in pieces cut down the wooden images, threw down the high places and the altars from all of Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim, and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man in his possession. So what happens after they begin to purify the house and they begin to serve, they begin to be sanctified, they begin to be set apart for their purpose. And people begin to come and they begin to offer their hearts willingly. And, and people begin to get saved. People who had no relationship with Jehovah before suddenly come and they want to be part of this. And then we see God just in his mercy reaching out and going, I don't even care right now the state that you're coming in. I can work with that. And he ministers to them. And then we see as a result of that, they go out and across tribe after tribe after tribe, city after city after city, the high places are broken down. The demonic worship is canceled. There's a turnaround of the things of, of Satan, the things that had been misaligned and a, a returning to the things of God. Sometimes when we're looking at the nation, we are so concerned about who's going to break down those things that we don't realize that it starts in cleaning out the house of God. We need to hear this. It does not take much effort to look around our nation, to maybe look around your city, to maybe look around your workplace, to look around your home maybe even, and go, man, stuff is so broken, it's so far gone. I'm telling you that the first starting point is when Hezekiah said, it is on my heart to covenant with God. It is on my heart to covenant with God. What are we looking at? What's getting our attention? The final thing that is really, really cool here is 2 Chronicles 31.10. 
And it says, And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered and said, Since the people began to bring in the offerings into the house of the Lord, we've had enough to eat and plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people. And what is left is great abundance. There is this, when you read the whole passage, you'll see that people started bringing and they were offering the overflow of what they had in their lives. They were bringing these offerings to the house of God because God blessed the land so abundantly that, that it was just overflowing everywhere. They actually had to build uh, places where they could house the stuff because they were, they were using what they needed. They gave to the people in need and there was a surplus more and more and more. Do you know every revival in history, when you look at the surrounding area, you see abundance. You actually see practical, like there is an improvement in the business world. There is a fruitfulness to the fields, to the fish, to the, to the land. There is, there is a blessing upon the land when God God is glorified. And so, so often believers will come in and we're just after the blessing. We're after the blessing. We're after the blessing. The starting point is, I have it on my heart to covenant with God. I have it on my heart to covenant with God. Will you go in and pull out the rubbish from the secret place? Will you go in and be ready to serve, to minister to the Lord? When we're talking about the personal, we're talking about I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is asking us today, you might want to see a national transformation. I do. You might want to see a provincial transformation. I do. You might want to see a city transformation, a family transformation. I do. But it starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with me saying, God, I am choosing to be purified, set apart as holy. I have it on my heart to make a covenant with God. It's me choosing to be sanctified. And God, I know that there's stuff that's permissible, but it is not beneficial. And right now, I want you more. So I'm going to go into that secret place of my life. And God, I'm asking you to help me pull the rubbish out of the holy place. I'm asking you to pull the rubbish out of my life because I do not want somebody getting promoted into the position you've called me to stand in. I do not want to miss your move in my life. I do not want to miss my calling. I want to be set apart for the purposes for which you have made me. I am ready. And so God, I will do whatever it takes. This is not about earning my way into the kingdom. This is about doing what it takes to cut off the crap so that I can live the life he's called me to live. I want to be in that place, right? Don't you? And then it is about seeing the activation and beginning to move with it and beginning to partner with it. When we start seeing people get saved, we start seeing transformation. We start seeing the lives around us begin to be impacted. We start seeing the blessing. We start seeing the abundance. It lands in a good place because my heart is right to start with. It lands in a place where I'm ready to steward a move of God. Suddenly because I've been set up for this moment. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Amen. Come on now. Come on now. This is not, this is not a word of condemnation, but I said it last week and I'll say it again. Time's up. Like we are in a moment in history where the lukewarm body cannot, cannot make it. God has called us to be hot or cold. There has been so many prophetic words in so many you know, spheres right now about 
the lamp being full of oil, about being hot, about being ready, about being prepared. And many of us, we're, we're relating that directly to the rapture and the return of Christ and being ready for that. And that is part of it. But I believe it's also part of being ready for a suddenly. It's being ready for a move of God and actually ready to be pulled into action. We, when we see the history, we can see that yes, a nation can change in a day. One person at a time. It starts with one person at a time. One family at a time. One church group at a time. One business place at a time. Some of you business owners, God has called you, yes, to prosper and to make finances, but you also have a kingdom voice. And it's about doing business righteously. It's about speaking truth. It's about speaking what is right. It's about releasing the wisdom of heaven into the marketplace. Some of you teachers, some of you that are called into the school system, yes, you've got a job, you've got a career, but you are stewarding young people and you have an opportunity to minister the wisdom of God, righteousness, justice, truth. I'm not saying you preach all the time. I'm saying you are God's emissary in that place. And out of your life, there can be this move that begins to happen. You're different. You sound different. You act different. You respond different. You carry the light. You carry the salt. There's, there's something about you that is attractive. Some of us are maybe called into the political realm. God help us. This is the time to stand firm and to speak righteousness and truth and to walk in the wisdom of heaven. Some are called into banking systems. Man, our finances as a nation are so messed up right now. I believe that there are kingdom wisdom tools that will be accessible in the abundance phase of this. As this nation begins to turn to God, there will be wisdom from heaven that's gonna release the finances into the places that it needs to go. Some of you are called into the justice areas where you're dealing with the broken and the hurt and the abandoned. And God has called you. It's not just about, about a job. It's not just about a position. It is about you are carrying the kingdom into that place. You are set apart for this time, for this purpose. Wherever you are, whatever place you are, you have the opportunity to like King Hezekiah said, it is upon my heart to covenant with God. I'm going to clean out the rubbish from the temple and we are going to begin to honor him in everything. God, purify me. God, sanctify me. God, activate me. God, purify me. Sanctify me. Activate me. We're heading into a new school year. We're heading into a new uh, political season. We're heading into a whole new way of being in a lot of areas. Set me apart as holy for you. Sanctify me. Align me for your purposes. And activate me to see your kingdom come and your will done on earth as it is in heaven. God, this morning we thank you. Whoa. We thank you, God, that you've allowed us to be born into this moment in history. We're not dismayed. We're not overwhelmed. We're not overrun. God, even though our hearts break for some of the things that we see around us, 
even though we're grieved because we know there are things that grieve your heart, even though we might like things to look different and be different. Our ultimate call, Lord, is to be in your service, to be your kids, to be sanctified to the original purpose that you have for our lives, God, to bring you glory. I thank you, God, for the promise in your word that if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways. Lord, that recipe is what Hezekiah lived out and he experienced the miracles. He experienced abundant life. He experienced blessing. He experienced fruitfulness. He experienced what it means to have the presence of God dwell with you. And Lord, today we ask corporately and we ask as individuals, God, that you would help us to apply this today. Where we've bitten into stuff that's not our stuff, we ask your forgiveness and we choose to just let it go. Lord, things that have distracted us, things that have, have caught our attention and, and captured our affections, God, today we just choose to release those. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be steadfast, that we would run the good race, that we would fight the good fight. Lord, that we would have it in our hearts to covenant with you. And Lord, I thank you that personally it manifests in our lives. I thank you that we don't have to try so hard. We just, we just submit and we walk in obedience. I thank you, Lord, for marriages being transformed. I thank you for families being transformed. I thank you for businesses being transformed. And I thank you, God, that we're not looking for just a big national outcome, but God, we can start today with you. And we make that decision. We make that decision. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.